Ephesians chapter 4, as today we're going to cover verses 17 through 32. So for Ephesians 4, you know, we're, we're jumping right into it. I know most of you guys have been here as we've studied through the book of Ephesians, but it's just like any other book. Uh, as you're reading a book, you know, you've got to build on each chapter, right? And so uh, up to this point, Paul the Apostle has been just basically teaching us how rich you are as a Christian, how blessed you are uh, as a Christian, and just basically telling you how, how wealthy you are spiritually. And with that understanding, now he encourages us to walk with that wealth, you know, to behave with these beliefs. And so you guys know this, all right? You guys know this, right? Being a Christian um, is something that when you accept the Lord, that you're immediately saved. And so if you were to die at that point, then you'd go to heaven because you're covered with the righteousness of Christ. But if the Lord tarries and you get saved, um, one of the things that he's interested in is while you're here on earth, becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more a man of God more and more a woman of God, more and more shining in the darkness, different than the world. Because a lot of times I think that we forget that and we think, you know, sometimes you look at a person and, you know, they haven't really changed. They haven't really grown. Uh, but we should. We should be different. Please, whatever you do, do not be content. You know, you read the book of Joshua and it's all about how they neglected to go and, and step into the promised land. You know, the land of victorious Christian living. You don't have to squeak by. God has so much for us. And so as he gets into Ephesians 4, you know, he's talking about that. Now your walk and you guys are united. And you guys, the last thing we read here in Ephesians 4 from last time is you're mature now. You're mature. And so he picks it up there in verse 17. And he says, this I say, therefore, Paul says, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You know, Paul here, he doesn't just say it, he testifies in the Lord. And so this is stronger, it has apostolic authority. And, and he tells us with that authority that we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And so he's writing to the Ephesians as a predominantly Gentile church, and he reminds them that they're supposed to be different than the rest of the Gentiles who are not saved, that we are no longer to live our lives the way the world does. We are to be different. We are not to just blend in. Sometimes you can't even tell. Someone, they're hanging out with all the non-believers at work or at school or family, whatever it might be, and there is no distinction. There's no difference. And Paul is saying, man, there's supposed to be something radically different. He says we can't walk, we can't live the way they do. He mentions right here the futility of their minds. And so the thing about it, you guys, is that people who don't know the Lord, they can't think biblically, they can't think spiritually, they don't have this capacity. You know, 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. And so I don't know if any of you guys were ever there before you were a Christian. Did you ever have someone before you were a Christian try to share things about the Lord and you didn't understand? Did you guys ever have that? I was completely that way. They would share things with me and I felt like they were from outer space and they spoke a different language. 
You want to know why? Because I was not born again. Because I was not uh, a Christian. You might even be here today, and I love you. I love you. God loves you. But if you're like, I don't know what that guy's saying. Maybe you need to get saved. You know, that's what happens when you become a Christian. You can understand spiritual things. You speak the language, um, but before you, you can't. Paul says, you shouldn't be living, walking life the way they do because they can't think biblically. They can't think spiritually. And as he's giving us these principles, he says there and elaborates on this, and it kind of is heartbreaking. Look at verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And so it's kind of a, this, is, this was all of us apart from Christ. You know, we lacked spiritual understanding. We were alienated from the life of God. There was ignorance on our part because of the fact that there was a blindness in our heart and being past feeling. And that, that describes an individual who doesn't have conviction. They don't have even a conscience. I mean, you know, I mean, as a man now, you know, when I'm looking at the, 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 the movies, the television show, even things on my phone, and I see a girl with too much cleavage, I get convicted. I get convicted, man. I'm like, that's not right. You better stop, turn away, turn it off, whatever it might be. But before you were a Christian, you know, you didn't have that conviction. You, you ran with it. And that's what he's saying here. You know, we're different, you guys. We're different. Isn't it cool that you have a conscience that is healthy? You have conviction that is biblical. You know, we shouldn't be acting like them because when they're there with those temptations and inclinations, they don't have that, you know, beeper that goes off. They don't have that buzzer. They don't have that conscience. They don't have that conviction. That's where we were at at one time. He says right here in verse 19 again, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The word lewdness, it it means something that's sexually crude and offensive, you know? And and so, you know, we got to be really careful. The devil goes fishing. You guys like going fishing, right? And what does the devil do on that, that hook? He puts the bait where the guys will bite. And man, I can't tell you how many men have fallen uh, because of sexual sin or pride or money. Be careful. Here, if, if you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because I think this passage, it sheds a little bit light on what Paul just said. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Notice what we read in verse 3. He says, for, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and, and honor. You know, and I just want to encourage you guys not to beat you up. Maybe you've fallen in the past, but, but now let's look forward and let's just say, okay, this is... I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. This is God's body. And I'm going to be holy. And I'm going to wait until I get married, if you're single here, you know? 
If you're married, you're, you're going to stay pure to your, to your spouse. That's, that's what he's saying right here, that we would know how to possess our own vessel in sanctification and honor. I love that. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Not that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. And so he's saying to them, he's saying, God's will for you is sanctification. And, and then he gives it the sexual purity, you know, context. And so basically what he says, to believe it or not, is like if you're with a girl and, you know, you, you, you sleep with her, but in all reality, she's going to belong to someone else, that's going to be his wife one day. You've, in one sense, defrauded your brother. And it says right there that God will avenge such activity. And so, you know, you watch the movies today, you see the billboards today, the programs today. Of course, you guys know that it's everywhere. It's everywhere, the sexual temptations. And so you can just imagine what's going on in the world. But for us, he's saying, no, we are not to be like that. There needs to be a healthy fear of God. And there needs to be a holy, like, like just beauty of the marriage bed. The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. It's beautiful, it says in Hebrews chapter 13. And so let that be beautiful. Let it be wonderful. He says in verse 7, For God did not call us, here's the word again, to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. You know, I, I always tell you guys that I, man, okay, you can never say, I'll never do that. Oh, I'll never, you know, fall, because then you put yourself in the front of the line, right? That you're being overconfident. But I do tell myself, oh, Lord, I'll never do that, because you'll kill me. And you'll use my wife to do it. I know that for sure. You guys have seen those 2020s? Oh, let me tell you, that's what that would be, man, for sure. And so I thank God for those fears. Amen? And so back in Ephesians, he says, you guys don't be like the rest of the world. This is what they're doing all day long. I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And of course, you have to say that in your heart. You know, Acts 11, verse 25, it says, and they first called them Christians. When they were in Antioch, that's when they were first called Christians. Now, it's interesting because more than likely, the context says that the people did this as a derogatory term. You know, they're just like Christ people, Jesus people. And so the, um, the city of Antioch kind of had that reputation. But, but it's interesting, when you look at the Greek language, it, it seems to say that it was a divine uh, intervention. That, that, that word called Christians, called, it's also translated divinely instructed in other parts of the Bible. And basically what I'm trying to say is that more than likely it was God intervening, that it was God who was the one who called them Christians. It was God. 
Up to that, they were believers, they were brothers, they were sisters, they were of the way, they were, you know, different things, saints. But then eventually, God called them Christians, and it stuck. And and when you're a Christian, what does that kind of mean? It means that, hey, I'm going to be like Jesus. Amen? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was pure. Jesus was holy. Jesus was loving. This is what we need to be. He loved his father and he didn't do anything apart from his father's will. And so for us, I pray that we would bear that name uh, with honor, with honor. You know, I I was reading the other day in the Bible college class about um, this story that Eusebius shares with us. He was an early church historian from the third century. And he talked about, he wrote about a believer by the name of Sanctus. He was from France. And this man was tortured for his faith. As they tortured him, they hoped to get him to say something evil or blasphemous. They asked him his name. What's your name? He said, I'm a Christian. Well, what nation do you belong to? He said, I'm a Christian. What city do you live in? I'm a Christian. His questioners started to get angry. Are you a slave or a free man? I'm a Christian. That was his only reply. No matter what they asked him, he only answered, I'm a Christian, which made his torturers even more determined to break him. And they hit him with everything they had to throw his way, but they could not break him so that when he died, his last words were simply, I am a Christian. And this is who we are. We are not of the world. We are followers of Christ. We are like Christ. And I pray that that would carry weight in our behavior, in the way that we live. We're different. We go against the grain of who we are by nature. We go against the flow in which the world is throwing our way. We are not of the world, Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 14. As a matter of fact, look what it says here in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice in verse 20, Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And so, so, you know, God's going to tell me that I need to behave in a certain way. You know, we're reading this from Paul, but then Paul takes it up at the next level and he says, you know, once something that's amazing is that you guys have not only learned about Jesus, you have, if you've learned anything, you have learned from Jesus. Because if you've learned anything, it's not from a man. That's what he says right there. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you've heard him, you've been taught by him. And so even though the Ephesians weren't literally there when Jesus taught in the temple grounds or in the open fields, Paul states right here that they've learned from him. They've been taught by him. And what that means is that any preacher, pastor, teacher, whoever it is that you're learning something from, they are nothing. They're insignificant. They're just vessels. Listen, you learned any truth, you've learned it from Jesus. That's why Matthew 23, 10, it says, And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, and that's the Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. From gentle and lowly in heart, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, isn't it cool to think that you guys, that myself, that we are learning 
about Jesus. He's telling, he's telling us about himself. He is the one that's teaching us. He is the one that is going to say, Manny, don't lie anymore. Don't steal anymore. Don't engage in sexual activity outside of marriage anymore. Manny, you got to make sure that you're a man of truth. Different things. And it's not from man. It's from Christ. You know, it says this. We've learned from Christ, about Christ. This is what you need to believe, and Manny, this is how you need to behave. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. And so, Today, as we're going through our study, the first thing really is you got to know the principle of putting off and putting on. And so you put off the old man and you put on the new man. And this is something that we can probably relate to every day, right? Because every day when you guys wake up, you put off your dirty clothes and you put on your, your clean clothes. Amen. Some of you guys do that multiple times a day. Now, I was thinking and looking at this, maybe one day we could do it where we just come in our PJs so we wouldn't have to put off the old clothes. I think the girls did that in one of their surrenders thing, and it's kind of cool. I like hanging out. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, and I'm all day in my sweats. It's kind of cool. But um, spiritually speaking, we have to put off the old, the dirty, and put on the new. You can't put on the new until you first put off the old. And that's what he's saying right here. It's a principle we see frequently in the New Testament. You know, we have this part of our body that's bad, this part of our soul, so to speak, that's sinful. And I don't know about you guys, but I know who I am. I know who I am apart from Christ. Uh, Sometimes when I'm praying and I'm asking God for forgiveness, it's not just for the things that I've done that that are wrong, but it's just who I am, who I am apart from him. All of us here, myself, probably the chief, we're wretched apart from him. And that's why every single day we have to put off the old man. You know, Paul calls it the flesh in chapter 2, verse 3. It's the depraved body appetites. If it weren't for the Lord, a lot of you guys, come on, let's just be honest. If we didn't have this restraint, if we didn't have this, this conviction, you know, if we didn't have this in our heart, we would be all over the place. You know, doing our thing. You guys know it because the body appetites, right? That's just the way it is. Before we were saved, we were only body and soul. Our spirit was dead, but the moment we were saved, God breathed life into us, our spirit revived, and now there's a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new. It's important for us to know anthropology. It's important for us to know the way that we are. As a matter of fact, go to Romans chapter 7. And I hope this doesn't confuse you. One of the guys, after first service, he said, man, I could not understand that. (laughs) But let's see here, Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 15. Paul says, For what I am doing, I do not understand For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. 
And so you guys understand what he's saying there? It's like, I want to do the right thing, but I, I, for some reason, I'm just not doing it consistently. And then he says, and then the things that I hate, I end up sometimes doing, you know? And sometimes you, you say the wrong thing or you, you do the wrong thing and you just, man, you wish you could, you know, rewind and undo, but you can't. And so he says in verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So here's the thing, okay? Before I was a Christian, you know, um, I don't know if you guys ever ever tried to stop drinking or you tried to stop doing drugs um, and, and you couldn't. That's kind of what he's saying right there, you know? Um, I, I mean, you know, wake up in the morning or whatever, you crazy hangover, you got in a fight, you, you know, broke up with your girlfriend. I mean, just things happen. You wake up the next day and you're like, you know what, I shouldn't be doing that, it, you know, but you just gravitate towards it again. You have your friends, you have your influences, you have these inclinations, these body appetites. I can't tell you how many times we had these girls that used to work the streets of El Monte, all of them addicted to heroin, trying to get them off that drug. My dad, I mean, I've seen it so many times and there's a part of you that wants to do the right thing but you just can't and he's saying that that sometimes even happens you know for maybe a season sometimes to christians and so he's basically saying there's something inside of me that wants to do the right thing but there's something inside of me that can't do the right thing and that's what he's talking about when he's talking about the flesh and so verse 21 he says i find then a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We we have this body of, of death. Someone cuts you off from the freeway, you know, you want to run them over. Who do you think you are? You know, I mean, I've been there, you guys. I've actually reached in my glove compartment for a, a gun or something. I mean, it's just crazy how quickly this body can commit things, do things, murder. That's all of us. And so he says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death so that I can die a man of integrity? So I can be faithful to my wife and be faithful to God and whatever it is that God's called us to do. Who's going to help me in this? And he says, thank God, Jesus will. Jesus died for us on the cross. He covers us with the blood. He imputes his righteousness to us. And then you want to know what else Jesus does? He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus will deliver us from this. And this is what Paul is writing about. Before I was a Christian, I didn't have a choice. But now I do, because I'm part of the church. And now I do. And this is what he's saying. Okay, you guys, we are to put off the old man and put on the new man. 
It's interesting, back in Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 23, it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And the New Living Translation says it interesting. It says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. It's by the Holy Spirit that we will receive power to win and to live this life. And so he shares, first of all, the principle. This is what you got to do, Manny. You got to know who you are apart from Christ. So you put off the old man, you take up that cross, and you put on the new man. And you got to do it every single day, Manny, because I tell you what, if you take a day off, you take a day off. This is why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. You take a day off, anything can happen. And so the principle, but then he gives us some precepts or some practical things. And look at verse 25. He says, therefore, putting away lying, that each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I don't remember the details of the movie, but I remember there was one movie where the guy couldn't lie. And uh, it was funny. I mean, I, I don't think it was a clean movie, but I think it was before I was a Christian. Anyways, imagine living a life where you can't lie. I, I mean, that's kind of cool. In one sense, though, we should try to be like that. We're like, I can't lie. I won't exaggerate. I won't withhold information. I won't tell half-truths because half-truths are a whole lie. There's no such thing as a white lie. Imagine if you have the core, he says in Ephesians 6, you are to gird your waist with truth. your, Your waist is your core. That's the core of who you are. So imagine if you're like, okay, this is, I hate lies. I hate lies. I hate what they do to relationships when people start talking behind someone else's back and it's not even completely the truth, but the enemy uses that. Next thing you know, I got some people, they don't like me. And I was like, why don't you like me? I'm a nice guy. I don't understand. And then, you know, you come to find out that the enemy has lied to them. I hate lies. I hate fake news. Because it's just the, the, the way the enemy operates. So the last thing in the world you want to do is to be a part of that. No, man, you got to tell the whole truth. Don't just tell your side of the story. Right here he says you got to put away lying. He's quoting from Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, that each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. And so I've told you guys many times that lies are the language of Lucifer, the dialect of the devil. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, so put it away, lock it up, throw away the key. We read in Ephesians 4, 15 that we are to speak the truth in love. Let me ask you a question. What happens if I catch you in a lie? I'll still love you, I'll forgive you, but I can't trust you. Because you know what? I know that person. They can lie. And you know what that does? Lies do. They destroy communication because now I don't know if I can trust you. And if you destroy communication, you you destroy relation. And this is why it is imperative for us to put away lying, put off the old man, and put on the new man. Before we were Christians, we wouldn't think twice about lying. 
But now that we're Christians, it's completely different. He says right there, for we are members of one another. And what that does is it challenges and it chisels away at our unity. So no more lying. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And so here Paul quotes from uh, Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. And he says, you know, you, you got to deal with the anger. He, he mentions these principles. And what we find, I think, is these are two common struggles. Any of you guys struggle with anger? Okay, so now you're struggling with anger and lying. Okay, any of you guys <laughs> struggle with anger? We all do. I mean, you, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but I do. And I believe that it's very common that we struggle with anger, that we got, you know, something sets us off and we have the inclination to lie, the temptation to fly off the handle. It's as if anger lies within us like a bomb. Think about it, ever ready to explode. And Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Now, I have to admit, though, he doesn't say don't be angry. Verse 26, it says, be angry. So there will be times when your anger is justified. As a matter of fact, it's to be expected when there's certain uh, injustices that take place, right? But what you do with that anger is what changes everything. Right here he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so I know that if I'm not careful... You know, Bible, we're going to read it later in the book of Ecclesiastes, I mean, Ephesians, to walk circumspectly. I'm slow to speak, slow. I got to be careful because if I'm just right birded out, I might say the wrong thing. And that spark, uh, James says, tar- starts a fire. So you have to be really careful. But he does say, don't let the sun go down on your wrath and don't let it linger. Some would even say, don't go to bed angry and Because if you do, he says right there, you're going to give a place or opportunity to the devil. That's that's why we have to settle these things. And some will say, well, a lot of times you see it applied to marriages and, hey, you guys are in a fight. Make sure you work it out before you go to sleep. And so sometimes you're up all night trying to work it out. And I've been there. It's very challenging to do that. I would say try to do it. But the most important thing is interesting because if you look at the psalm from which Paul quoted, Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. And so, again, if you can work it out before the sun goes down, before you go to sleep, praise God, that's an awesome thing. But I think more important than that, you know, trying to iron out some superficial agreement is just checking your own heart that when you're there, you're going to bed and you settle this, you settle this with God. You are not going to go to bed, you know, with bitterness towards that individual. You give it to God. You give them to God. It's, it's so important for us because if not, then what we do is we give the devil a foothold into our life. And so I don't know about you, but man, that scares me to think that I'm going to give the devil an opportunity to do this thing in my heart or my family. 
You know, you get a foothold. Later, we're going to talk about wrestling in Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so to give the devil a foothold, you know, sometimes you're there, and when you're wrestling, you got the two guys, and, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're doing your thing, and you might grab a foot. If you got the foot, oh, man, then you're going to take him down. And next thing you know, I've been there, and I've been on both ends. they got a stranglehold. And so I'm not going to go to bed angry. I'm not going to go to bed with bitterness in my heart. Paul says here, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry. That's fine. I understand. But don't sin. Don't sin. And then verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, sweat, toil, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. And I love the way that, you know, the negative you used to do, now you're actually proactively replacing it with something that's positive and it cancels out those ugly things. You put off the old man and you put on the new. How many of you here, just out of curiosity, were thieves? You used to steal before you were a Christian. Anyone here? Okay, so there's a couple of you. The rest of you continue to lie. You know, I'm ashamed to tell you guys that I was a thief before I was a Christian. It was part of probably my makeup. I don't think I was a klepto, but it was part of my makeup. But it was also part of my model. My dad taught me really good how to steal. I remember just being little kids, man, going to some of these stores here in Almani, you know, and apparently we didn't have a lot of money, so he used to put meat in his pants, he put meat in his jacket, and we walk out the door. Uh, I saw things like that many times. I remember going to a place called Tower Records, and we walked around the store. Do you guys remember Records? Some of you guys remember them? And uh, I remember, man, we're walking through Tower Records, and he's just picking up an album, picking up this, Rolling Stones, The Beatles, you know, and he's putting, he's got, he's got like 10 albums he's holding right here, and then he tells me, okay, Mio, I want you to walk right there so that they can't see me, and so we just walk out the store with all these records, man. And so that was the model for me. Um, my dad used to steal, he would go as far as stealing my mom's shoes to support his heroin addict. So I saw that. And I emulated that from a young age. I remember in elementary school, going to the stores and putting stuff in my backpack. And I used to do that until I got busted by the store clerk. And then in junior high, me and my friends, my friends were bad. I think they were a bad influence. But we would break into school cafeterias. Think about it. How dumb is that? And get donuts and we would grub until we got arrested, you know. And over my life, I stole money, jewelry, clothing um, from Mervyn's department store. I mean, you name it. I mean, I, I was so dumb. Can you believe one time I went to a store and I put a chain around my neck. So I'm looking at the mirror. I put a chain around my neck. And then I just walk out. I walk out. So of course you're going to get busted, right? But that's what was me before I got saved. And so what if I kept on doing it? That would be crazy, huh? No, on the contrary, God says, no, you don't steal anymore. You know, now uh, as a Christian, thank God, I don't want to take a dollar from God. I don't care if there's no one around that can see me. If there's a dollar right there, it's supposed to go into the agape box. It's going to go into the agape box, right? Because now we're Christians. And on the contrary, God says, you don't steal. You start working hard, 
earning money so that you can start giving to those who are in need. And it's a great feeling to give. Acts 20.35 says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so principle, put off the old man, put on the new man. Some of the practicals, don't lie anymore. Speak the truth. Don't sin in anger. Make peace in your heart. Don't steal, give. And then verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And this is huge, you guys. All of these are huge. But right here he's saying, don't speak words that tear other people down. Speak words that build other people up. You know, I wonder, you guys, do you realize, some of you guys, I know you're cognizant of it. Some of you, you're in tune with it. You know the power of those words. Huh, you know. And this is what he's saying right here. You know, you call a kid, this child, you call them a loser. You call them lazy. You call them dumb. You call them a bum. You'll never amount to anything. You tell them that. You know, for some people, unfortunately, that's their mode of motivation. That's their style. Oftentimes, they were raised that way, and they use it as an excuse, and they refuse to repent and to break that cycle. You know, for some reason it hasn't clicked. They haven't realized the simple truth that those words in which you're tearing that individual down do deep damage. Deep damage. So Paul says, you're not supposed to walk like that. That'll be in their little hearts forever. And I can still hear those words. You know, growing up, you know, You'll never be a man. You'll, you'll, you're just gonna, you're gonna be just like your father. And not that I haven't forgiven the individual who told me those words, but I can tell you, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but somehow I still have a video clip of that incident in my mind, and I can still see the the, the scowl on their face when they told me that. You know, and, we, and then for a while there, I believed it until Jesus Christ set me free. It's a trip, man, how, you know, the words that people speak. When I was in Catholic school in the eighth grade, the nuns were all over me. And they were like, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about me. Maybe it's because I'm a little slow. But they said, you got to stop doing drugs. You're, you got to stop getting high. You got to get away from that. And I wasn't. I wasn't. So I started doing it. I'm like, well, they might as well, they're telling me I'm doing it. I might as well do it. I don't know why, but sometimes those words will make that kind of impact. You know, the funny thing is, I believe those words spoken to me by these individuals, the nuns or whoever else it was, they were meant, they meant it for good. But unfortunately, this is not the effective way of a Christian. The words will harm and haunt and hinder, and we need to see this. Thankfully, God eventually brought people into my life who spoke words of edification and truth, and 
believe and b- build me up. And, you know, we got to know that this is how God wants us to speak to others. It's not just applicable to parents. It's for everyone, right? No corrupt words, no rotten words, no foul words. Verbal abuse, verbal abuse is real. You guys know that, right? And so be careful. You know, Jesus even said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for you to hire a thousand pound stone around your neck and throw yourself in the deepest ocean because I see what you're doing to these kids. You know, if you have anything to say, you know, make sure it's true. Make sure it's spoken in love and make sure it's words that'll build them up. You know, he says right here, and it's no wonder he says there in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so if you're a Christian and you're speaking like that, or if I'm a Christian and I'm seeing this whole thing take place right in front of me, I'll tell you what, there's a pain inside of me. I can feel God, God's grief inside of me when we speak like that. And so from, from my prayer, God, get a hold of our hearts. We all have our different struggles Maybe you're a klepto. God says, stop it, you know. You know, maybe you, you have some people, it's kind of funny, you can always tell when they're lying. It's every time their lips are moving. Some people are kind of like that. They're kind of inclined to lie or whatever it might be. And, and so if you're one of those, though, that you speak corrupt words out of your mouth and stop it, this is what Paul's saying, stop it. Because it grieves the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing he says in verse 31, and let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, that's loud and confused noise, especially that of people shouting, evil speaking, let it be put away from you with all malice. That means there's an intention to do evil. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you and so there's something about us huh justice who does justice belong to it belongs to the lord sometimes we want to take justice into our own hands and it's just the nature natural tendency we have but you know um i've seen many different scenarios we really have to give it to god you know there's this one man whose whose daughter was violated and this is a big guy who can do big damage. And I remember just kind of walking through him in this process. And of course, in the flash, you don't want to go, you just want to go pound somebody. But, but he understood, no, I, I need to give this to God. I need to trust God with this. He let the legal system do their course. And the whole time he just he was close to God and he ministered to his daughter that this is what he's saying right here. Because if not, you know, the, the, the bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, the malice, I'm going to do you evil. You know, because we, we would naturally say, you guys have heard this, I don't get mad, I get even. Amen? That's what, kind of what we say. And so what ends up happening to you? You're a bitter brother, you're a sour sister, and everybody is going to be affected by that. That's what he says right here. And so we need to be careful in this. 
um, how God has forgiven us. I mean, he's forgiven us a gazillion dollars of sin. It says in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. We don't have time to go there, but I encourage you next, when you get a chance to read it, he's forgiven us so much. Do you realize what you've done to Jesus? You nailed him to a cross. I love the fact that when Mel Gibson made that movie, you know, The Passion of the Christ, that when it came time for that individual to nail those nails in Jesus' wrists and in Jesus' hands, he used his own hand to do it. That's what we have done. I don't know about you, but if you killed my son to forgive you for that, that's what he's done. How can we not forgive others what they've done to us. Because if we don't forgive, he says right here, we're going to end up with bitterness. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, we have to look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You know, we have to be better, not bitter, Right? And so bitterness, it's the cause of sleeplessness, fatigue, um, affects our metabolism, our immune response, our organ functions. It leads to physical diseases. I mean, here in Hebrews, it says it defiles people that are around us. And so God says, no. And I love the way he ends right there. And be tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another, just as even as God in Christ has forgiven us. I trip out. I trip out on the way that God has forgiven me. You know, He's taken my sins and He's cast them as far as the east is from the west. And He's put them in the deepest part of the ocean. He put up a sign that says, No fishing. He will remember. He puts them behind His back. I remember one time I had a, a big old debate, you know, with a friend of mine, because the Bible says that he forgets our sins. And uh, just, it was a theological, you know, conversation where maybe, you know, we don't necessarily settle it, but just that he would, does, does he really forget our sins? Remember them no more. I don't know, like, because God's omniscient, so I'm not really sure on how that works, but I do know this. Never bring it up again. Because washed away in the blood of Jesus. If we can start living like this, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. You will stand out like a sore thumb. You'll even be a witness in your own home. I pray we take these things to heart. Put off the old man. That's not your boyfriend. Put off the old man, put on the new man, and God will show us the details each step of the way.